You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Paul Kern. Well, we want to welcome you to our study on Romans. Those of you that are here with us, we want to welcome you. If you're listening by live stream, we want to welcome all of you. And then, obviously, we want to welcome all of our people that listen to us by podcast. We have thousands of people that listen to us by podcast. So you may be driving down the road in your car right now listening to this. And we want to welcome you. And we speak blessings on everyone that tunes in and joins us and and receives the word from Christian Ministries Church. Well, go ahead and open your Bibles to chapter 2, because that's where we're going to be in our study tonight. Now, you listen, you guys got to put it in fifth gear, because we're we're getting the RPM gauge way up there, because I'm going to try to get a whole chapter done in one teaching. Now, Pastor Tim can't do this. He leaves his in first gear. But I'm going to try to move mine over, so you got to follow along and stick with me. We're going to start reading the first five verses of Romans chapter 2. Together, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, you may think that you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you really have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God, in his justice, will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think that you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you're stubborn and you refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Woo! Now that's what you call fire, right? That's the emoji. Fire emoji right there. That's like three of them. He's not fooling around. In our last lesson, Pastor Tim covered chapter 1, and he taught what Paul said would happen to people who have abandoned God for a life of selfish, sinful living just a a reprobate person. They're just not living for God. In this section, Paul reveals how God deals with a more upright, moral, religious person, a person who knows right from wrong, a person who has outward virtuous qualities about them. So for the remainder of this section, we're going to be discussing God's judgment and how it relates to the Jew. Now, for us, we've got to make a little application of truth here. This I think it would be easy for us to say, well, I'm not a Jew, I'm a Gentile. Well, you're a spiritual Jew, right? You're a spiritual Jew because you've been born again. So you've got to think of yourself in that sense, not as a Gentile. He's speaking to all of us here. So we're going to talk about four principles of God's judgment tonight. For those of you that are taking notes, you're going to love this because I've got this outline just awesome for you, okay? I worked real hard to get this real laid out well. So four principles of God's judgment. I'm going to go through the four. Number one, an inescapable judgment. An inescapable judgment. That's verses one through five. That's what we just read. The second principle is an individual judgment. An individual judgment, verses six through eight. The third principle is an impartial judgment. 
God shows no partiality, verses 9 through 11, and impartial judgment. And then the fourth and final principle is an inevitable judgment. It's coming. You just got to know it. Verse 12 through 16. So let's start with principle number one, an inevitable, I mean an inescapable judgment. Now we just read verses one through five, and I'm not going to take time to read that, but we're going to split these up, these, these verses up into two categories. The first category is verse one through three, where he really talks about kind of an inexcusable hypocrisy. I mean, the Jewish people, they know the law, but they're not following it. So it's just an inexcusable hypocrisy on their part. And then the second category is verse four and five, an unrepentant hardness. They just have a hardness of heart and they're not going to listen to the truth. So verse one, we can see the inexcusability of the Jews on two different accounts. For one thing, Paul says they do the same things. (laughs) They're telling people not to do certain things, but they're doing the same things. Well, that's just inexcusable. They, they are committing the same sins that the Gentiles are committing, and yet they're telling the Gentiles, don't be committing those sins. So <clears throat> Paul's not saying that they go out and commit the same excess of wickedness. The Jewish people weren't committing the same excess of wickedness as the Gentiles were. A lot of the Gentiles were living very, you know, excessively wicked lives. But we all understand, and all we have to do is recall what Jesus said when he was talking and comparing lust to adultery. It wasn't the act, it was the heart, right? And so that's where Jesus is always going to bring things back to. So we have to remind ourselves that guilt is not, you know, dependent upon the excessiveness of sin. It has to do with what's going on in a person's heart. And this was a big hang-up for the Jewish people because, you know, they were all about works. This is, the whole thing was, was rooted in that. And we're going to really dig into that tonight. Another point in this verse is the fact that the Jews judged the Gentiles for their sin. Now, this ability to judge Gentile believers showed that the Jewish people had a working knowledge of God's word. They knew right from wrong. They knew what you should be doing and what you should not be doing. And because of this knowing, Paul says, you're doubly condemned. See, it's one thing for a person to go out and live a life of excessive sin and they don't know, they haven't read, they don't have the knowledge. But for the Jewish people, they were raised up under the word. It would kind of be like being a a young person growing up in church knowing right from wrong, knowing your mother and father taught you right from wrong, and then you're just going to go out and do what you want to do anyway. Well, that's what you call doubly condemned. See, they're condemned because the sin in their life, they face it and they do it even though they have a greater knowledge. So if the Gentiles are condemned for unknown things, how much more accountable are the Jews going to be because they know? Verse 2, in this verse, he simply reiterates the fact that all men who do wicked deeds, whether known or unknown, will be judged. All. There's not an exclusive group, and that's what Paul's really addressing in this chapter. Then it goes on to say that God's judgment is according to truth, meaning 
God's judgment will come and one's true situation will be dealt with. You know, we, we, I remember when I used to play games with God all the time when I was living in hypocrisy. And, and you know, the thing, the thing about a hypocrite, a hypocrite, the only person that he's fooling is himself. Man, I, I mean, I had myself fooled now. I mean, I was, I was playing into my own game. I bought my own lie. I believed it totally and completely, you know. And, and so Paul really comes and begins to expose this. Now, in verse 3, Paul exposes the stupidity of the thought that anyone guilty can escape condemnation from God. That's silly to think that you can Nobody can escape the righteous judgment of God. All people will be judged by God because God is the righteous judge. Nobody is exempt from God's righteous judgment. But the Jews thought they were. And we're going to look at this. Then in verse 4 and 5, he says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. But because you're stubborn and you refuse to turn from your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself for the day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, the Jews were condemning the sinful practices of others while they went out and did the the exact same thing. Therefore, Paul says, you will certainly be condemned for doing that. Now, we might think to ourselves, well, that's simple. That's obvious. Of course, that's what's going to happen? Why, why would the Jewish people think that they could escape God's judgment? Well, you have to understand how Jewish people thought, and you have to understand the situation that Paul's addressing here and what Paul's dealing with to really know what's going on here. Most everyone will agree, will agree with Paul's assessment of flagrantly immoral people, just people who just are just flagrantly being immoral. You know, I've watched a lot of people lately on the news that are just flagrantly immoral. I'm talking, I saw a guy the other day, I don't know if y'all saw, and this is just kind of a current event, but did y'all see the video of the young man walking down the sidewalk in New York, and he was going this way, and a 90-year-old woman was coming the other way, and he just stuck his fist out and punched that woman, and she fell out on the ground, and he just kept walking. I'm talking flagrant just don't care. Well, anyway, they put out a, a bulletin on that guy, and they ultimately called him. He had 20 other counts uh, or encounters with, with the law over what he did. So, you know, we'll agree with Paul's assessment of flagrantly immoral people. They obviously are going to receive God's judgment. But let's take a minute to be reminded how the average Jewish person thought about God's judgment. Most Jews believe that performing certain moral and religious works produced right, right standing with God or righteousness. They, they thought that they could earn God's special favor, and they thought that they could earn eternal life by keeping the Mosaic law, by following traditions and the teachings of the rabbis. That's what the majority of Jewish people thought. As a matter of fact, many of them thought that even if they failed in some respect of following God's law, they would just merely miss out on some earthly reward, but they were still going to be exempt from God's judgment because they were Jews. They were God's favorite people, okay? So God's not going to send his chosen people to hell. 
So they were, confirmly, they were firmly convinced that God would condemn pagan Gentiles, but that no Jew would ever experience condemnation. They never thought that a Jewish person would experience that. And I don't know if y'all knew that or not, but I mean, that, you do a little bit of study on this and it's very interesting what you find out. Now, I think it would be really tempting for us in, at this point in what I'm talking about, because we're, we're talking about Jews, it would be really tempting for us to think that what Paul is talking about doesn't apply to us because none of us are Jews. Probably very few handful of people are going to hear this message that are Jews. But let me just trans, transpose this truth to the church today, because I think that's important that we do this. If you're attending a midweek Bible study, like we are right now, if you're listening to a Bible study podcast, like you are right now, then most likely you've been brought up as a religious person and you understand right from wrong. And this applies to you. What we're talking about applies to you. Now, it would be like how believers put their trust in baptism. Well, I've been baptized. You know, I've, I've been water baptized. I'm, I'm, I'm going to heaven. Or they put their uh, confidence in a church membership. Well, I'm a member of this church or I'm a member of this church. And, and you know, that, that makes me right with God. Or, or I was born into a Christian family. You know, my mom and dad, they both love the Lord. They're Christians. My grandparents are Christians. I was raised in a, in a, in a Christian family. So that, that automatically makes me right. Or, or I live by a very high standard of ethical uh, code in my life. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a person who lives by a very high moral standard uh, in my life. Or I'm a very charitable person. You know, and I, I give to a lot of charities and I do a lot of good things and, and I serve in the food line and I help people and, and I do things like this. And so, as, as we look at it from that perspective, we see how a, a person would be led to think that they were going to be okay and they were going to bypass God's judgment based on the merit of their good works. As a matter of fact, it's, it's harder for a morally upright, charitable person to comprehend their need for Jesus than it is for a person who is a reprobate. I mean, they've hit bottom. They're hopeless. I mean, the only place they got to look is up, right? And, and that's where I was. So it's a lot harder for a person. And this is what Paul is dealing with here. He's dealing with people who are religious people. They've been raised in a religious environment and they have a code of ethics. What do I need Jesus for? I have, I'm God's chosen people. And I have Abraham's law that was given to us by revelation. So I'm good. So Paul knew that they would have to be convinced for their need of the gospel. And so this is what Paul is doing. He's trying to show them this. So having enough knowledge of God's requirements to be able to judge others who sin does not excuse someone from God's judgment personally. Just because you have the ability to know right and wrong and you can judge someone else who is doing wrong, that doesn't exclude you from being judged. That's what he's trying to say. Verse 4 and 5, he talks about unrepentant hardness. And so, you know, God gave them, well, let's just think about the goodness of God with the Jewish people for a minute. Because God was good 
to the Jewish people. God has been good to the Jewish people. The revelation of himself, I mean, wow, that in itself is enough and amazing. The land that God gave them and blessed them and promised them, the protection that God gave them. You know, we're we're talking about all the times when God withheld his judgment and punishment from Israel and he should have punished them and God didn't. All of these things that God did for the Jews should have led them to repentance, but instead it made them harder. It made them more resistant to God's hand in their life. So verse five, it says, the wrath of God on the day of judgment will be seen as right or righteous. So on the day of judgment, there's not going to be any fooling around. You know, there's not going to be any game playing. There's not, there, none of that's going to work. It, you know, it's just all going to be out in the open, laid bare and very clear. And you're not going to be able to play games with God like maybe you, you play games in other areas of your life. It's all going to be revealed and, ex- and exposed. Now, on one hand, we see God's goodness, we see God's mercy, we see God's patience. On the other hand, we see God's wrath. Paul's talking about both sides. Well, is God mercy, patience, and goodness? Or is God wrath and judgment? Yes, he's both. I'm a father, I've been both, depending on the situation, right? I know our, our youth pastor, Josh Barnett, he's, he plays a role as both. Sometimes he's good and patient and gentle, and sometimes here comes the belt. That's the way it works, okay? So we talk about the wrath of God here. Now, it shouldn't be hard to choose between the two. It's an unrepentant heart in the face of God's goodness that brings wrath. That's why we need to be humble, When you get in trouble, let me give you some advice, young people. When you get in trouble, just humble yourself. You're right. Husband, when you're caught and you know you did wrong and your wife calls you on it, don't argue with her. Just humility. You're right. It's it's the best way. I think that's good advice for you husbands out there, just so you'll know. My wife's saying, yeah, you need to make sure you remember that next time. You know? (laughs) The second principle we want to talk about is an individual judgment. An individual judgment. Verses 6 through 8. Let's read this together. It says, He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. Now, verse 6, there's two key words in this verse. The first one is each or every, showing that justice is going to be individual. It's not going to be national like the Jewish people were used to it being. You know, we remember Achan who, you know, he stole some idols and he hid them in his tent and the whole nation fell under God's judgment. Well, that's the way God used to deal with Israel. He dealt with the nation. But Paul's talking about, no, no, no. God's dealing with individual. He's dealing with you yourself. Then it goes on to say that, you know, well, there's two huge statements that Paul's making here, and it's basically twofold. One, he's saying that each person stands and answers for himself before God, 
And two, he's not judged on race. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or you're not a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile or not a Gentile. God isn't going to judge you on race. God is going to judge you on your heart and your deeds, okay? So in this, Jews gain no advantage or disadvantage. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or you're not a Jew. There's no advantage or disadvantage in this situation because you're not judged on race. Doesn't matter if you're an American. Doesn't matter if you were born into a Christian family. Doesn't matter if you go to church, right? It doesn't have anything to do with that. You're not judged on those. It's personal. For example, I, I don't know if you've ever been witnessing to somebody and, you know, you're sharing Jesus with somebody. I mean, I've had opportunity to do that and I, and I like that opportunity. But, you know, lots of times when you ask people if they're saved, they'll say, yeah, I, I've gone to church or I went to church or I go to church. That's, that's what a lot of people will say. The, the principle is that the individual's true self will be judged as manifest in actual deeds, Your true self is revealed in your actual deeds. Kind of like the scripture says, out of the heart, the mouth, what? Speaks. Oh, I didn't mean to say that. Well, obviously you did because that's what's in your heart, right? That's what came out, you know. So profession is not important. Practice is important. That's what he's talking about here. Oh, I'm a Christian. We're not talking about you saying you're a Christian. We're talking about you living like you are a Christian. See, knowing and saying and teaching and judging cannot be a substitute for being and doing. We've got to live it. That, and that's what Paul's talking about. People need to see the fruit of Jesus in your life every day. All right, let's go on to verse 7 and 8. Paul gives us two specific illustrations as to how um, this principle of God's individual judgment is actually going to work in practice. There are, in fact, two possibilities, and there's really no neutral ground here. Eternal life will be the reward of some, and judgment will be the reward of some. Now, three things are evident in these people. One, their manner of life. In other words, the Bible talks about those who persevere to the end shall be saved. So there's this perseverance in doing good he's talking about here. Number two, their objective. What is your objective for living? In that verse, it says glory and honor and immortality. That's why I'm living my life. Glory and honor and immortality. That's my objective. And then third, their reward, eternal life. Now, these are they who, when they stand before God in judgment, will be found to have practiced righteous deeds. Because God's you know, keeping a record of, of everything that we're doing right now. There's the book of life that has nothing to do with your works. And then there are the books of the deeds of the saints. Okay. So this is the way it's set up. My, it, and I don't have time to go into all this. I got a great message on this. If you want to go back uh, and find it, I have a really good one there. But there's two factors that are considered here. The manner of life, they don't obey the truth, but they obey unrighteousness instead And secondly, their reward is going to be indignation and wrath. They're going to experience God's judgment because of the way they lived. All right, let's move on. Principle three, an impartial judgment. 
verses 9 through 11. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Now, in these three verses, Paul repeats himself in the last three, except for the fact that he wants to put an extra emphasis on the judgment of both Jew and Gentile. Verse 9, it's just a repeat of verse 8. But this time, they look at it from a point of view of one judge. Talks about tribulation and, and anguish or distress. And then it also talks about trouble, you know, calamity that, that's going to come upon that person. Verse 10 is just repeating verse 7. But this time it's from the point of view of a blessed person's happiness. He says glory, honor, and peace. And he actually adds peace in this verse. So the key phrases in both verses 9 and verse 10 is to the Jew first and then also the Gentile. So this addition provides the reason for repeating the illustration and placing special emphasis Because he wants them to understand, and this is very important, that race has nothing to do with judgment. And see, they didn't understand that. They thought that race had everything to do with judgment. Jew and Gentile stand on the same ground when it comes to God's judgment. Do we all understand that? so important that we understand this. And this is just doctrine, guys. This is just good Bible doctrine. This is what we need to know. Verse 11. He, he, he basically reinstates a, a principle indicated in verse 6, but with a different phrasing, a different point of view. <clears throat> there is an individuality that's emphasized here. He really puts an emphasis on individuality. Here is this impartiality being emphasized. God does not show impartiality. God does not show favoritism. There is no respect of persons with God. Now, we do that, but God doesn't do that. Who a person is, how much money a person has, how affluent they may be, what their education is, what side of the town they live on, what family line they're born from, any of that. None of that matters to God. Who a person is does not count with God. Just doesn't. So it's very important that we understand that God is an impartial judge, and when God judges us, God will be impartial. It doesn't matter if you're famous. It doesn't matter, you know, if you, you know, were involved in doing all kinds of great things. That, that, that doesn't really matter. God's going to be impartial. It's impartial. He's going to be fair. And the fourth principle is an inevitable judgment. Verse 12 through 16. Let's read this together. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in God's sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it. It's very interesting. Even without having heard it, 
They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. And y'all remember God saying he was going to do that in the Old Testament, and he did. For their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they're doing right. And this is the message that I proclaim that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. All right, let's start with verse 12. Two groups are mentioned in verse 12. Those who sin without the law, and in that day, that would be the non-Jew, okay? And, and understand, actual guilt is the issue here. Actual guilt, not anything else. Then the other group were those who sin with the law, and that would be the Jews, okay? The ones that grew up under the law. Once again, actual guilt is the, is the issue, nothing else than everything with, you know, who you are, who your family is, where you go to church, what your affiliation is, what your nationality is, none of that. That didn't have anything to do with that. So possessing or not possessing the written law has nothing to do with it. It's important. Possessing or not possessing the written law has nothing to do with it. Condemnation will be based on actual wrongdoing. Not whether you have the law or you don't. Now let's look at this, verse 13. He says, not the hearers of the law, but the doers of the law. Now Paul's referring to those whom the written law had been given, the Jewish people, they'd been given the law. They studied it, they grew up being, being taught it. The Jews back then, you know, they all would understand that. But, but it's important that we understand that is applicable for us today because we all have it. We have it on an app. We have it in our heart where we memorized it. We have it in our actual Bible. We have it. So this, this would include Christians today. Verse 14 and 15 says, Gentiles are going to be judged by the law of conscience. Now, Paul cites three evidences that a Gentile heathen would possess the law in their heart. Now, watch this. Number one, he talks about their deeds. Now, most people know that they should be civil whether they're a Christian or not. They just know. You just know it. You know that you should be nice to people. You know that you should not treat people wrong. You just... No, you got, it's what you call your knower, okay? Then he talks about their conscience or a sense of guilt. People, for the most part, they, they know and they feel guilty when they do wrong things, for the most part. Now, you know, everybody's level of guilt is, is different based on your, um, your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and to the Word, right? But everybody has this sense, whether they show it or not, whether they act like it or not, everybody has this and deals with it. And then lastly, Paul talks about in their judgments. Now, many people may say they don't, you know, that are, you know, people who aren't Christians and maybe they're atheist or agnostic or whatever, they'll say, I don't believe in God or I don't, I don't believe in right and wrong. You know, you do what you want to do. Well, I mean, you know, they may say that, but then lie to them and see how they react to you. Cheat them and see how they respond to you. Steal from them. Take their stuff. See if they don't come across you. You know, attack their family. 
Watch their response. See, you know, people, it sounds good in theory, but it just doesn't work in the classroom of life. Now, these are obviously extreme examples, but they, they prove the point. They prove the point. We do not need to be misled into thinking that Paul is discussing salvation by works. Paul is not discussing salvation by works. And I don't want anybody to, to be confused as I'm talking about this because Romans teaching us how a person is saved, but it, right now it's showing us how a person is judged by God. And this is important that we understand um, the difference. So Paul is not saying that you're saved by works. He's emphasizing deeds, not because they are the basis of salvation, but because they are the basis of judgment. Deeds are the basis of judgment. Paul is also proving that no one can be justified by deeds, right? Because if you could be justified by deeds and you'd be doing just what the Jewish people were doing, following the Mosaic law and, and saying that, you, you know, what's the point of Jesus hanging on the cross? I mean, what Jesus did would be absolutely pointless. <clears throat> Paul is also proving that no one can be justified by deeds, not the hearers or the possessors of the law. You cannot be justified by deeds, nor the non-hearers and the non-possessors of the law can be justified by deeds. You cannot be justified in God's sight by doing good things. I don't care how many good things you do, that won't make you justified in God's sight. Now, verse 16, Paul's concluding point is that the judgment day will feature Jesus Christ. Paul preaches this truth, that all men will be judged by Jesus. And he points this out here. Two things here. Jesus will be the standard for judgment. So as you look at Jesus, he is the standard by which everyone will be judged. So when you read about the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... He sets the standard for judgment. This also means that men will be judged in terms of their relationship with Jesus. Okay, and Jesus talks about this. All right, look at verse 17 with me. You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you've been taught his law. You are convinced that you are a guide to the blind and a light to people who are lost in darkness. You think that you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Now, th now three things here that the Jews put security in. Number one, their race, the fact that they were God's chosen people. Number two, the revelation that God gave them through Moses and the law. And then number three, responsibility. They felt it was their responsibility to be a teacher and a guide to the blind. Now let's look at this. Let's start with race. Verse 17, Jew was a name held in high regard to them. That was a big deal. The fact that they had been born into a specific lineage meant that they were somebody more important than non-Jewish people. I'm more important than you. I'm a Jew. I'm chosen by God. But I want you to look at this. Let's, let's look at John chapter 8. And you don't have to turn there because we don't have time. Because I'm, I'm run out of time. But I want to read this to you real quick. Our father Abraham, they declared, No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. 
Instead, you're trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. And they replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. And Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. So the Jews equated their lineage with being sons of God. And their upbringing taught them that since Abraham was their father, that ultimately God was their father, making them children of God. And Paul's point is that their racial heritage, being a Jew, didn't give them any special standing with God. It just didn't. All right, the next one is Revelation. The second big thing Paul was trying to overcome was the law that they studied and that they lived by. It was given to them by Moses through revelation from God. And the Jews found security in simply just possessing the law, just being possessors of the law. They found security in that. They taught their children thoroughly from it. They knew what God expected of them more than any other race. Verse 18 tells us that they could rightly divide between good and evil And they had to do, all they had to do was compare men's actions to God's word. So add all this up, here's what happens. You get a very prideful, religious person that's very self-righteous and looks down their nose at everybody else. So verse 19 and 20, they saw that it was their responsibility basically to let everybody know that they were sorry, heathen, people and they weren't righteous like they were. Now, the revelation of sharing truth was right, but their motive was wrong because they became self-righteous looking down their nose. So what they felt they had to do was right. If you have the truth, you share it, right? But their attitude was terribly, terribly wrong. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, he told this story of that guy that was the two guys that were in the t- temple praying. And remember the, the Jewish guy, he was saying, man, I tithe and I go to church and I do all these things. And I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector over there. Well, he was obviously a way better man than, that, than the tax collector, but the tax collector took a position of humility and recognized his guilt before God and was crying out, God have mercy on me, right? Verse 21, let's finish up. We're going to be like one more minute. Well, then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but you steal. You tell it's wrong to commit adultery, but you commit adultery. You condemn idolatry, but then you use items stolen from pagan temples. You're so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. And then he goes on to talk about the Jewish uh, ceremony of circumcision and how they thought that that made them right with God. See, all these outward things, their affiliation with God, their race, all these observances, that they all thought that made them right with God. All right, let, let's wrap this up here because we've run out of time. Christianity is a gift that cannot be fully recognized through following the law. It just can't. As we look at God, when you really taste of who God is, God's goodness, God's love, God's compassion, God's justice, God's holiness. When you taste of God, 
It can only be experienced through a relationship with our maker. And that's really the emphasis that Paul is wanting to place. He says, you're, you're putting all your, your eggs in the basket of your race and works. And that's just not where it is found. See, the Jews had a hard time understanding the words Paul wrote just as they couldn't figure out the life that Jesus himself lived. They were too busy with their traditions. They were too busy with their ceremonies, with their celebrations, with going to church, with doing all their righteous deeds, their own self-righteous ambitions to understand that what they were seeking was the very person that they crucified. They just couldn't see it. And as I close tonight, I just want to remind us all, we can't get so caught up with religious customs. I'm glad you come to church. I'm glad you're here on a midweek service. I'm glad you come on Sunday. I'm glad you pray. I'm glad you're tithing. I'm glad you do all those things. I'm glad you're trying to live a godly life. But we can't get so caught up with religion and custom. They, they have their place. They have their place. But they can't replace a loving, obedient relationship with the Lord. It's just the difference between walking by the law or walking by the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Y'all stand with me. Amen. Let's give God a hand clap. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Continue to guide and direct us. Go before us this week. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.